Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome to the Ben Simmons Game Winner Podcast. Joking, of course, this is the Sixer Sense Podcast, but we are recording directly after the Sixers went over the Spurs. Chris, your thoughts on the game? Well, it's always nice to get a win. Maybe not the most inspiring win, but, but a win nonetheless. And as you mentioned, Ben had, I believe, his first ever buzzer beating game winner so that, that that's always nice well yeah and we'll definitely talk about that more your eye is not with us tonight but that's okay we're gonna jump into it uh before we do chris you have a good weekend so far man yeah yeah it's been pretty good not not too much going on just some you know some end of the semester schoolwork and stuff how about you had a great time took my daughter to the local aquarium had a great time there. She really enjoyed it. Got her some summer sandals, too. And, uh, yeah, so, no, it was a good time overall. Can't complain. That's good to hear. And uh, you mentioned we're recording after this first game on Sunday night, so we can just jump right into that. It was a 113-111 to win for the Sixers. This is their first of five games in seven nights, so a pretty tough stretch, if not in terms of, you know, team record a pretty tough stretch just in terms of you know you know it's going to be tough to manage the, the the workload with joe and ben and those guys but a win in overtime uh you mentioned the ben simmons game winner he tipped in a missed and beat shot at the buzzer so this is dangerously close to going into double overtime what were some of your takeaways lucas well let's let's be clear the spurs were without four of their five regular starters the Spurs just wanted this game much more than the Sixers. Luckily for the Sixers, talent prevailed. That being said, it was a great Seth Curry game. Six of six from the three-point line, eight of ten from the field overall, 22 points. Not a great game from Ben Simmons, minus the game winner, of course. Danny Green or Tobias Harris. They combined, get this, Chris, nine for 29 from the field and three of 15 from the three-point line. That That is just horrendous. Dwight Howard had a solid game. Joel Embiid had, uh, you know, another 30-plus point, 12 uh, rebound game, 34 and 12. Dwight had 14 and 11. I mean, overall, the Sixers perimeter, they really struggled. And I got to give, is it Keldon Johnson? Keldon Johnson is a player. I mean, he Ben got, drew two offensive fouls in him in overtime. But let me tell you, Kendall... Kendall Johnson will be a player in this league for years to come because he's aggressive. He's a smart player. He's going to be a good player for a long time in this league. I, I'm, I'm seeing that now. I, I agree. Kendall Johnson has been really strong all season for them. Um, as far as the Sixers go, this has been Seth Curry's best game in a while, one of his best all season. Um, I think he's been trending in the right direction lately. He was pretty aggressive in seeking out his shot, which is always, as we've said on this podcast many times, a really big thing for him. So hopefully that continues. Matisse Thibault, not his best game, but he had a big block um, down the stretch of the fourth quarter on Patty Mills as the Spurs tried to win the game. Um, Joel Embiid had a great night, 34 points, 13 of 23 from the field. Some were criticizing his shot at the buzzer in the fourth quarter, the, the one that missed and that sent the game to overtime. It was a fadeaway, mid-range fadeaway. Frankly, I'm I'm fine with that. That's a shot he's been hitting all season. Yeah, I agree too. That 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 that's his bread and butter. I I was okay with that. I I disagreed with the commentators there too. I was like, I'm okay with him taking that shot because he's hit that so many times. 
Yeah, it's like he's he's the best player. You let him get into a rhythm and take whatever shot he wants. Um, he also missed the the buzzer beater at the end of the overtime, but Ben tipped it back in. This was not a particularly good Ben Simmons game. Only six shots, five points, two of those being at the buzzer on that tip in. You know, he just needs to be more aggressive offensively. He had some big plays on defense. He's he's been doing that all season, but the offense is becoming a real concern now it has been all year um, only six points on three of ten for Tobias who you mentioned had a pretty rough night um, so sure Joel frankly didn't get a ton of help outside of him and Curry those are the only two real steadfast offensive players tonight but the Spurs were short-handed luckily Philly got the win uh, again this is the first of five games and seven nights the front end of a back-to-back going into overtime against such a short-handed Spurs team is not the ideal way to start out such a loaded portion of the schedule obviously the Sixers are in a pretty tight battle for the number one seed they now have sole control after this win and Brooklyn's loss to Milwaukee today but it's going to be tough Joel ideally will probably rest one or two of these games coming up if he doesn't they're going to have tired legs I would assume by the fourth and fifth game so really not ideal to go into overtime and have to work this hard to beat such a short-handed San Antonio team but at the end of the day, it's a win. Before we move on, I do want to note one other thing, Chris. Yo, is that it. Tobias Harris, and you can go back to the beginning of April, Tobias Harris's offense has been hit or miss, and it's been more misses than hit. Granted, he was dealing with a knee injury, but, I mean, just he in April, he was only averaging 17 points a game, and now the six-point outing against the Spurs it doesn't look great either. It's just, I feel like Tobias Harris is, like, tampered, you know, kind of not tampering. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's like tapering off at near the end of the season, and he was averaging 20 points, but now I believe it's around 19 points per game, and it's it's not good for the Sixers. Obviously, you want Tobias to be at his best, so, and I think the knee injury is bothering him to an extent too. But this is not like a great look for a Sixers or Harris in particular. No, I mean, I I, I think there's always a certain level of unsustainability to Harris's numbers before the all-star break. He was, you know, probably never going to keep up 20 points per game on 50, 40, 90 shooting. It's probably going to dip at, at a certain point. Um, that's probably inevitable. Uh, generally speaking, he's still been far better this season than he was last season. I'm not too concerned. He, he's still playing decent basketball, you know, tonight, notwithstanding. So it, it's, it's not, a big concern, but it's definitely a trend to, to keep an eye on with the playoffs coming up. And and we can talk about that Hawks game now from Friday night. That was the second of a two-game homestand against Atlanta. They beat the Hawks by 44. The first of that homestand, the second game, was a 22-point win. It's only half the margin of victory, but still a pretty thorough blowout. The Hawks got off to a quick start in the first quarter, but then Philly was even more dominant in the second quarter, and it just kind of snowballed from there, Lucas. You know, outside of Trey Young, no one really got any shots to fall for Atlanta. What were some of your big takeaways from that game? Well, the, the first off, the Atlanta Hawks have a nice young duo at center with Clint Capella and uh, Onyeki Okongwu. So that that that's a positive. They both play. I mean, considering they're playing against Joel, they played okay. Um, that being said. I mean, it was just a good all-around team effort. Joel, Ben, and Tobias each had 18 points on really efficient. Well, actually, Joel was slightly inefficient from the field. But overall, 
efficient shooting. Nobody had to play. None of the starters played more than 25 minutes. And it was a solid game for Matisse, Thibel, and Shake Milton, and Corkmoss, who had it in Dwight. Three out of the four bench rotations, uh, I mean, four out of the five bench players who are going to see time coming off the bench in the future, which we'll talk about later, had over 10 points each. Thibel had 10, Milton had 13, Corkmoss had 11, Dwight had 19. And, I mean, it wasn't a great game for Hill in terms of shooting the ball, but, I mean, you can see that second unit coming together for sure. And we even saw that in the Spurs game where I thought the second unit played with a little bit more oomph than the starting five at times. Now, our new sponsor is none other than Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Now, nothing feels better than being able to enjoy a rich, smooth, and creamy chocolate and knowing that you're doing something good for your body. What they do is they start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, and guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market, and they're proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. They're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Again, that's MINUTE15. You can find their website at earthechofoods.com backslash Minute Media. And now, back to the podcast. Yeah, I agree. It was a really strong all-around outing. I mean, for Ben, it was kind of the opposite. This was one of his better offensive games. Um, 18 points, 8 of 10 from the field, as you mentioned. Was really aggressive early. Had some pretty impressive plays at the rim. Some some impressive dunk. And, you know, he did his thing on defense. You know, more of that going forward versus less of the San Antonio game stuff is ideal. He When he's attacking the paint and he's collapsing the defense, that's when he's at his best. Even if he's not going to shoot the three, which he's not, if he, if he can be aggressive and attack that rim and embrace contact and embrace free throws, he's going to be a really effective player regardless. So that, that that's what they need more of out of him. Um, yeah, I mean, getting the starters extra rest, especially with this, again, five games and seven nights coming up is always nice. Yeah, I mean, the Hawks just seem pretty poorly matched up with, with Philly right now. It appears that the Sixers have their number. We'll see if it stays that way. There's a pretty decent chance these two teams play in the postseason if Philly's able to hold on to the one seed. It's looking like New York-Atlanta is going to be the 4-5 matchup. There's still plenty of time for that to change. But there there's a pretty realistic chance that we end up with a second-round series against the Hawks. So... Two consecutive blowouts, even with Atlanta being shorthanded, it, it, I think is a pretty strong positive. Chris, you bring up a pretty good point about that second-round matchup. And if the Sixers hold on to the one seed, and that means that's a first-round matchup against presumably the Charlotte Hornets. That's a win- That's a four- or five-game series for the Sixers. The Hawks would be probably a four- or five-game series. Probably four. I, You know, that's an easy way to get to the Eastern Conference Finals if the Sixers get that one seed. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. Even if the Knicks get that, 
you know, it would still be a four or five series. It'd be a slugger, but it'd be a four or five game series. And then you only have to worry about either Brooklyn or Milwaukee. And Milwaukee played Brooklyn pretty good today. I mean, they won, obviously, but, you know, that was, you know, Brooklyn not being fully healthy, but still, that's an p- easy path to the Eastern Conference final for the Sixers if they can just hold on to this one seed, which is beyond important. So, anyway, we, we were just talking about how strong the bench has been playing, and we should shift gears because Doc Rivers recently said this about the bench. When everybody is healthy, to go with the bench unit of Shake Milne, Hill, Matisse Thibel, Cork Maz, and Dwight, like he did against the Hawks. Chris, how confident do you feel about that bench unit going into the playoffs? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty confident about it. It's not the greatest bench unit in the world, but as you mentioned, it seems to be coming together pretty nicely of late. George Hill helped in myriad different ways um, in tying that group together. We've been talking on this podcast ad nauseum about the day that Mike Scott will eventually not be part of the rotation. It seems that day has finally arrived, which is nice. Um, I mean, that, that that's what you want. You want as many shooters and playmakers as you can around Joel, Ben, and Tobias, and Dwight in this second unit group. That That's what this accomplished. Mike Scott wasn't giving you much of anything on either end, so you sacrifice a little bit of size, but you get more switchability. You get more punch on offense. Um, you know, Shake Hill, Matisse, Korkmaz, and Dwight are your five best bench players, period. So I, I think it makes a lot of sense to to move to this group. Yeah, you make some really good points there. And I, I do feel a lot more confident in this group. And I, I don't think during the playoffs we'll see an all-bench unit play very many, if any, minutes unless it's a blowout. I think, you know, Doc's going to try to stagger his starters minutes a little bit more during the playoffs. And we'll see more of to- Tobias or Ben with this unit because I don't think he'll trust Korkmaz and Matisse at the power forward position to guarding that against you know, opposing teams. But, you know... I did write an article recently about how they could, and Thibel is more than capable with his wingspan to do it, but you don't want him doing that, obviously, because that would undermine his best ability to guard perimeter players at a high level. We saw that how effective, how important that was against the Spurs. Um, that being said, Korkmaz could do it. I mean, he's six seven. He's he's only an inch shorter than Mike Scott is, and I mean, he doesn't have a his he doesn't have a long wingspan, but. He does have the foot speed to guard opposing power forwards no, a lot easier than he would have a hard time. He would have a harder time guarding, you know, small forward shooting guards than he would power forwards based off his lateral quickness. But like I said, I don't think we'll see that that often um, for sure. But you kind of touched it on already, Chris. But what other strengths do you see with this uh, bench unit minus the playmaking and the shooting? Do you see any other positives with this bench unit? Yeah, I mean, just off of your point, I don't think there are too many matchups where you really have to worry about size at the four versus some like Thibel and Korkmaz. Even, even like looking ahead to the playoff with Milwaukee, you're going to match Joel and, and Giannis's minutes. So, I mean, asking Korkmaz or Thibel to, you know, guard a PJ Tucker or something really doesn't concern me. I, I don't think there are too many matchups where size is going to be a huge issue. Like, like there's no, it, it, especially with how, few those minutes are going to be, especially in the playoffs. I, I don't think size is a huge issue there. But um, in, in terms of other strengths, obviously y- you have two really solid perimeter defenders now. 
in George Hill and Matisse Thibel, that was not the case with Scott in the rotation. Those are two guys who can switch pretty comfortably between both guard spots. Thibel can cover both forward spots in certain matchups. Um, this is going to clear out the center of the floor again, like I said, for Dwight. In these units, I, I don't know Dwight's going to be matchup-proof in the playoffs. We've, we've kind of touched on this in the past in different episodes, but like in the Milwaukee series, I'm not sure how much of Dwight we're actually going to see. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how Doc will handle those groups. Do we see more of Ben Simmons at the five? Do we see Tobias and a bunch of wings? It'll be interesting to see how that, that kind of goes. I think Dwight is really the most... He's really the one player that can be pretty easily schemed out of a game. I mean, Korkmaz can be targeted to a certain degree. Shake can be targeted to a certain degree by opposing offenses, but Dwight's really the one wild card where specific teams are just going to be able to play him off the floor. So I'm really interested to see how that shakes out. But generally speaking, this is a pretty solid bench unit. Like I said, not the best, not the best in the East even, but you have two capable playmakers in Shake and Hill. You have an elite-ish shooter in Cork Maz, at least in terms of confidence, he's going to get shots up. And we've talked about Matisse maybe making an all-defense team. He's just special on that side of the ball. So there's a lot to like. So yeah, you bring up a lot of great points. I love them all. And outside of, you know, scheming Dwight out of a game based off of matchups, do you see any other major weaknesses? You know, you touched on maybe Cork Maz or Shake, but is you know the size disadvantage we kind of both touched on isn't a huge deal for the most part, but do you, could you see any other disadvantages with this second unit? Not really. I I think you always lose something when you don't have at least one of the big three, quote unquote, on the floor. Um, like you mentioned in the playoffs, I don't think that's going to be the case very often. Um, statistically, the Tobias Harris plus bench players lineup has been very successful this season. I would expect. Doc to probably stagger the rotation. So these bench units are normally led by Tobias once the playoffs get here. And then we see a lot of Ben and Joel together. I think that's probably the way to go, too. Um, just because Ben and Dwight and Matisse is not a great, great fit offensively. Um, so no major glaring weaknesses other than the Dwight thing that I mentioned. And even that's not like Dwight's had a pretty good year so i'm not too concerned about that um i mean it's just a really solid five man group and that has not been the case for the sixers in recent years so it's a nice place to be you're right you're right you bring i think i i tend to agree i think you make a lot of good points there and i think a lot of the uh bench success is the way that doc rivers has coached it up which brings us into our next subject right chris yeah Lucas, we're going to talk about Doc Rivers and his standing in the Coach of the Year race right now. I have a link from Uriah that I have not looked at yet that ranks the top five candidates for Coach of the Year this season, according to the Vegas Insider Odds. I'll give you the five names, and I want you to give your ranking of what you believe the top five are, one to five. And I'll give my Those five names are Doc Rivers, Tom Thibodeau, Monty Williams, Steve Nash, and Quinn Snyder. So what do you think is the correct order there? That's a tough one, Chris. I would say my number one would have to be Tom Thibodeau, followed by Doc Rivers, Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, 
And then Steve Nash. I think that's a pretty good guess. Um, I I like the Thibodeau pick. I don't know if that's where I would guess the odds are, but there are a lot of Knicks fans in the general media scape. Um, obviously, the Knicks have been pretty, pretty god-awful of late, and they've turned it around in a big way, so he's certainly deserving of being in this conversation. I'm going to put Monty Williams number one. I think like the Suns have the best record in the NBA right now. They were sort of moving in the right direction last season. 8-0 in the bubble. Obviously, Chris Paul has been a revelation this year for them. But the Suns have missed the playoffs for like a decade straight. Now they're going to maybe be the one seed. I think that's a pretty remarkable turnaround. So I, I think Monty Williams is going to be that in that top spot, if I had to guess. I, I'll go with Doc at number two and Quinn Snyder at number three. Just based on record-wise, where these teams are at the top of the conference. Then I'll go with Thibodeau 4 and Steve Nash 5, just because I don't feel like people are really talking about the net success in relation to Steve Nash. I think it's more about the players they have on the roster. Not that Steve Nash has done a poor job. He's done a, a fine job, and he has a really gifted staff of basketball minds with guys like Jack Vaughn and Mike D'Antoni. But that's going to be my five. Monty Williams, Doc Rivers... Quinn Snyder, Tom Thibodeau, and Steve Nash. I'll go over so, the order now. So hold up, Chris. Chris, before you go over the order, let me let me retort here. I thought about Monty Williams at number one, but I think the addition. I mean, he was there last year, and they still didn't get into the playoffs. But you add Chris Paul, and now they get to that high of a ceiling. Like I'm not saying that Williams doesn't have play a part in this, but I think the the addition. I mean, Chris Paul is being talked as an MVP candidate. So let's let's like as much as I like Monty, I don't see him as the number one. Whereas Thibodeau, really, they didn't add anybody except for maybe Derrick Rose, if you want to count Rose. They didn't add anybody in free agency. I mean, R.J. Barrett got better, but that was just a natural progression from year one to year two. So yeah, that the I mean, Thibodeau really just came in there and changed the culture. That is what Tibbs did, and that's the. Like, they didn't add a marquee free agent or anything. They didn't make any major roster turnovers. I mean, they got Obi Toppin and Emmanuel quickly, but Quickly's the only rookie that's actually been making an impact. I mean, New Orleans Noel has been solid for them in the place of the injured uh, Mitchell Robinson. But, like, nah, my, my, that's why I have Tibbs number one, because they, want, they haven't – and to be fair, while the Suns haven't made the playoffs in 10 years, the Knicks haven't made the playoffs in eight years. So it's not that difference of a drought. Now they're the number four seed in the East where the top three teams in the East have a legit shot of actually making the NBA finals. And while I'm not discounting the West or what the Suns are doing, I think that's more of a byproduct of Chris Paul versus Monte, where I can say clearly Tibbs is the reason why this team is that much better. So that's, that's why I have Tibbs. But let's see what the order actually says. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. I, I will say last season was Monty's you know, first season in Phoenix. I, I think the culture change there was pretty substantial, even if they weren't winning games yet. Obviously, Chris Paul deserves a lot of the credit, but just building up that culture to, to a place where they can come in with Chris Paul and have the best offense, one of the best offenses in the league and an elite defense. Like This Suns team is way better than the CP3 Thunder were, for example. Obviously, Devin Booker is better than Chris Paul's second best player in OKC. Not not by a ton, really. I think like Gallo and Shea were really solid 
two, uh, you know, a two and three punch there. But obviously, Devin Booker's a different animal. But that's it. I'll I'll just read the order now. I, I feel good about this because it is Monty Williams at number one with one to two odds. Number two is Quinn Schneider. Number three is Tom Thibodeau. Number four is Doc Rivers. And number five is Steve Nash. Uh, so, Lucas, what are your thoughts? Do you think Doc is a bit underrated? How, how does that sound to you? Well, I think we both had Doc as number two in our rankings. And what I think, I mean, you can see the culture change that he's done in Philly. He's definitely changed some things to schematically and definitely have has reached his stars to a new level. Um, he took a team that was number six last year in the East and got them all the way to the number one seed again. So that speaks for itself there. Let's look at the people in front of him, Monty Williams and Tom Thibodeau, uh, re- one and three respectively. We both have our reasons why we would have them where they are. Uh, Quinn Snyder, I like Quinn Snyder. And I mean, yeah, he's changed some things things schematically. And I mean, I guess the personnel hasn't really changed there except for the addition of what Derek Favors in the offseason or the re-addition of Derek Favors because he left for one year to go to New Orleans and came back. So, I mean, I, obviously Quinn Snyder made some adjustments and I think he just got the, he had the, that team running so well. But now that, you know, I think, you know, the team not sustaining the success now that they lost Donovan Mitchell and him not being able to keep that team afloat because the Suns have a real shot of getting that number one seed now because the, uh, the Jazz have been slipping as of late. So I I wouldn't have my, Quinn Snyder in my top three. I think Steve Nash is perfect as number five. I would if if I had to reorder it now, I would still have Tibbs number one. I would have Monty number two, and I have Rivers number three. I think I I, I like Snyder at four, and I like Steve at five. So I think Doc deserves to be in the top three, even if it's at the bottom of the top three. But I I think he's a top three candidate this year. Yeah. I think you make some good points. When Utah was like the runaway number one in the West earlier in the season, I would have been all for Quinn Schneider. I, I think, like you said, with their slippage of late, even though it's not necessarily his fault, they, they've gone through a lot of injuries and little bumps and bruises. Um, he, he's really not the most inspiring name. Uh, Utah hasn't really changed a lot. As you mentioned, they've made some schematic improvements. They're really good at the beginning of the year. But I think a lot of that is just continuity. Uh, The Lakers, every team in the West at this point has gone through some pretty significant injury trouble. Obviously, it's a shortened offseason due to COVID, some weird things. I think the Utah, just by nature of being as tight-knit and as familiar as they are, kind of got a head start on other teams. And that's kind of slipped away at this point. Uh, with Phoenix right in that conversation, especially if they get the number one seed, I'm, I'm pretty happy with giving my vote to Monty Williams. I, I think Doc should be number two. I mean, Gerald Embiid and Tobias Harris are playing the best basketball of their career. The Sixers have obviously made some pretty substantial changes um, over what happened last season. Granted, some of that is on Daryl Morey and the personnel staff, who maybe should get executive of the year. But yeah, Doc deserves a ton of credit for the culture change. That's another subject for another podcast for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Doc, Doc deserves a ton of credit. I'd put him number two personally, especially 
if Philly can hold on to the number one spot over Brooklyn, I mean, record-wise, some of this can still change. So maybe, you know, the race is not finalized yet. But I think my, like, personal rankings, if I were giving my top five, it would be Monty, Doc, Thibodeau, Snyder, and then Steve Nash. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a fair five. Quinn Snyder is obviously a great coach, and the Jazz have had, by all means, a really tremendous season. So I, I can't really knock it. They're, they're the second-best team in the NBA record-wise. So there, there's no complaints for me. Uh, I, I think it's a totally fair race. But it, it looks like Monty Williams is going to win. He, he seems to have a pretty comfortable lead at this point. I would like Tom Thibodeau to win. I think he deserves it. But it, it seems like the media is definitely leaning towards Monty. And I wouldn't be upset with that either. I think Rivers is a top three, arguably top two. But I wouldn't be upset if he's not the top two, as long as he's in the top three. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm happy with that. But I guess I, I will do the social media question of the week. Because well, actually, Chris, no, you do the social media question of the week, so then we can wrap it up after that. Because you'll be doing the outro, unless you want. Yeah, me to I got it pulled up. I got it pulled up okay. right here. So I'll just go ahead and impose it. Our social media question of the week was: How far will the Sixers go in the postseason? Uh, a, a pretty simple one. I'll read some Twitter responses first here. Fire Howie <laughs> um, said to Bradstreet, Matt76 said champions. Sixers Dylan, a bit less optimistic, said the Eastern Conference Finals. Our boy Uriah said down Bradstreet with Larry O'Brien. So some very confident Sixer fans <laughs> at the moment. Those are responses from Twitter, Lucas. How far do you think the Sixers are going to go in the postseason? I think that they probably, I would say probably Eastern Conference Finals at bare minimum. I don't, it depends on who we meet in the Eastern Conference Finals, but as I outlined in the in the segments before, if the Sixers stay at number one, they get, they most likely get the Hornets at number eight, and then they get the most likely either the Knicks or the, uh, or the Hawks, most likely the Knicks. I see the Sixers winning both series in no longer than five games. And that means they get to the Eastern Conference Final and they have to play either a beat-up Bucks or Nets team. So, I mean, I see at least Eastern Conference Finals, maybe NBA Finals. I think if they can get past the East, I think they have a real shot of winning it all. But I'm not 100% sold that they'll get past the Eastern Conference Finals. So I'm going to say Eastern Conference Finals for myself. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on what seed they get. If they drop back to two and they're facing the Bucks in the second round, then maybe they don't get past the second round. I think that's a bit of a coin flip for me on that series. I've already predicted Bucks in seven on this podcast, but it's a coin flip for me. It's 50-50. Um, if they stay in the one seed, then I definitely think Eastern Conference Finals is the realistic prediction. I, I don't know if I'd pick them over Brooklyn, probably, um, or Milwaukee if the Bucks are able to win that series. Even if it is Milwaukee who meets them in the Eastern Conference Finals, then that's a much more winnable series, I think, than Brooklyn. So that matchup would then have pretty severe consequences for Philly. So it, it depends on a lot of factors. I'll say Eastern Conference Finals like you, if they're able to stay at that number one spot. I, I, I wouldn't pick them over the, the Lakers or the Clippers, for example, in the in the NBA Finals. But that's a conversation to have 
when the time comes, we we will see if that is if that happens. Um, I, I'm fairly pessimistic, as everyone on this pod knows, but we'll we'll just have to see what happens. Um, oh, I think I think that they could beat the Lakers or the or the Clippers in a seven game series. To be honest with you, but yeah, like, I like mean, you said, another another conversation for another day. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I think Brooklyn is if they're healthy, if they have all three other guys, I think Brooklyn's the team to beat. Um, oh, of course, of course. But if they don't, which it doesn't appear like they do right now, because who knows when James Harden is getting back? You yeah, know. yeah. I mean, it, it, Brooklyn's health. Let's, is, let's, is let's definitely... be real. Let's 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 be real. If James Harden is not healthy, and they get Miami at that seven spot, and they stay at the number two spot. Miami has the talent to upset them in the first round. No. I, I think so. Bam out of bottom Jimmy Butler. Uh, Heat are like barely over 500 this year. I, Jimmy's let's be light. real. If Jimmy's locked in in a playoff series. I get it. Like, I, I think last season put a lot of people on the Heat bandwagon, but the overwhelming evidence from this regular season would suggest that the Heat just, just aren't aren't it they just don't have it um maybe i'm wrong maybe they come in and take the sixers to seven in the first round and i i feel stupid but as just based on what we've seen this year i'm not really afraid of miami and i I think kevin durant and kyrie are more than capable of winning that series by themselves i mean probably but i mean i never put anything past jimmy butler we didn't think that he would take the the lakers to what what was it six games or Five or six games less uh, finals. Yeah, it was six. I mean, look, like yeah. the bubble, bubble was its own thing. I don't, I, I, I don't want to say it was a fluke. I, I think they clearly earned it. But as we talked about with Jordan on the pod a, a couple days ago with Milwaukee, they just came in and were ice cold and had problems at the worst time after having one of the best regular seasons in recent memory. Um, obviously, Toronto. <sighs> didn't have quite anymore i i think the bucks thing especially was weird um so i i don't know if i would count on miami to do it again especially what i'm saying especially after such a, an underwhelming regular season it, it just doesn't seem like they they have it maybe next season is, is different obviously covid has cast a pretty big shadow over this season but i i'm i'm pretty close to just counting miami out right now I mean, last words, maybe. I mean, we'll see for sure. And I mean, it. I guess we'll have to wait and see. But like I said, I'm not counting Miami out yet. I need to see it to believe it because Jimmy Butler is that guy. But you're more than likely the 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 nuts are nets. Sorry, the nets are gonna get up your eye. Please edit that. Um. Anyway, the nets are gonna come out of that series just fine but there's always that possibility with jimmy butler that they don't and if so that would be awesome um but we'll have to wait and see for sure but i like you know anything's possible in the playoffs but i think the sixers if they can maintain that one seat they're going to get to the eastern conference finals at least I agree. And, like, look, nobody would be more pleased with Jimmy Butler upsetting the Nets than I would be. I, I would absolutely eat that up, but I I just don't see it happening. But uh, <laughs> I guess that brings us to the close of the pod, Lucas. Thanks again 
to all our listeners for, for tuning in to this week's episode. Um, we, we really appreciate it. Wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, on the website, leave a review, drop a comment, let us know how we're doing, drop any suggestions, topics you want us to talk about. We'll definitely give them a look. With the playoffs right around the corner, we'll have plenty of exciting guests coming up. So just, just keep on tuning in. We really appreciate it, everyone.